0: Remain standing for our gospel text and sermon text from Luke chapter 1. Give your ear to God's infallible word. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, The babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Thus far the reading of God's Word. This is the Word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Please, Father, bless the hearing, the preaching the proclamation of your word, the gospel of the God-man, Jesus Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord Jesus, our rock, in whose name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Merry Christmas. I confess that... The Christmases I like best are the ones where we meet together on the Lord's Day and in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord. It was the meeting of two unlikely expectant mothers, neither one of which had expected to be with child at this point in her life. One, of course, was far too old to be with child. The other was a young virgin. The barren woman, the old barren woman, was six months pregnant. The virgin was a few days along. Under normal circumstances, neither one should be pregnant. But these weren't normal circumstances. God was breaking into history, inserting himself into his creation. He was also breaking his centuries-long silence and sending salvation at last. This classic meeting of the moms, to which uh, what we, we just read, the one that I'm referring to, of course, is the one in which Mary visits Elizabeth and Judah. Elizabeth was Mary's older relative. And only days before this meeting, the angel Gabriel visited Mary, and he told her that she was going to carry and deliver, give birth to God's son. The angel also informed Mary that Aunt Elizabeth, or cousin Elizabeth, whatever she was, had miraculously conceived a son six months earlier. And Mary's response to the angel reminds us of the spiritual capacity of our covenant children. Mary was capable of profound theological reflection as a very young lady early teenager, maybe even 12 years old. We see her spiritual depth in her response to Gabriel, and we witness her theological depth in the song that she sings starting in verse 46, which we'll come back to next week. Adults, let's not make the mistake of underestimating our youth. Let's not patronize the intelligence of our kids by expecting too little from them. Take seriously the spiritual, spirituality of the children in our midst, in this congregation. Expect them to get something out of the sermons. Expect them to read their Bibles and to commune with God. Expect them to respond to God and to walk with God. Our children need to be challenged, not spoon-fed. As a church, we must invest in the discipline and instruction of our young people as paul says in ephesians 6 and children this means that you must take your faith seriously if you can understand what i'm saying children that i'm talking to you not just the older children the younger children you must take your faith your walk with god your baptism seriously By the time Mary was 12 years old, she had owned and internalized her faith in Yahweh. It wasn't just the faith of her parents. She had made it her own. She had grabbed a hold of it herself. And this is something that you children must begin doing now at at a very young age. Again, if you can understand me, if you hear me, then I'm talking to you. Kids, don't just float through life or float through your faith. Don't settle for an immature spirituality that just stays on the surface. Show initiative in understanding theology, the Bible. Take charge of your relationship with God the way Mary obviously did at a very young age. She didn't become this spiritually mature and theologically deep person at 12 the moment the angel appeared to her. She had cultivated this spirituality and this theological understanding in the 12 or 13 or 14 years leading up to this event. Gabriel had practically invited Mary to go visit Elizabeth by telling Mary that Elizabeth was six months along with a miraculous Uh, conception of her own so in verse 39 mary heads south to judah now mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of judah this was a long journey tens of miles it would have taken mary days not one day but days and her haste indicates her eagerness to see elizabeth She couldn't wait to fellowship with her believing relative. Mary's visit with Elizabeth is commonly called the visitation. There's even a day in the church calendar called the feast of the visitation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. But what's important about this story is that it's not just the meeting of two unlikely expectant mothers. It's also the first meeting of the two boys in their wombs, in their bodies. When Mary showed up at Elizabeth's door, John met Jesus. The greatest of all the prophets met the Son of God. The final prophet of the old covenant met the Savior and the founder of of the new covenant and so the two covenants collide during this visitation and this meeting is appropriately dramatic verse verses 40 and 41 say and mary entered the house of Zechariah and greeted elizabeth and it happened when elizabeth heard the greeting of mary that the babe leaped in her womb and elizabeth was filled with the holy spirit Before Elizabeth herself had time to return her own greeting, her unborn child leaped. Down in verse 44, uh, Elizabeth adds that John leaped for joy. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Literally, the baby in my womb leaped with exaltation, with praise. John responded before his mother did. And John's movement wasn't your run-of-the-mill kicking of, uh, you know, that, that pregnant women typically experience at one point or another during the pregnancy. The, the word leaped is the same Greek word used in the Greek Old Testament to describe what Jacob and Esau were doing inside of Rebecca's womb, remember. It caused her to to break out into poem too, into song, about what this meant. It's the verb used in Psalm 113 to describe how the mountains skipped or leaped like rams when Israel came out of Egypt. This verb also shows up in Malachi 3 to describe how God's people Will leap like calves when the Son of righteousness rises with healings healings in his wings. Luke is the only New Testament author who uses this word. He only uses it three times, and all in his gospel. Two of them are in our passage that we just read. The third one is a few chapters later in chapter six, verse twenty-three where Jesus says to leap for joy when when great things happen, when people hate you and exclude you and revile you and spurn you because your reward is great in heaven. John would one day have the opportunity to leap for joy at being hated and excluded and reviled and spurned on account of Jesus Christ. The day was coming when John would have to decide whether the Christian joy that he had, that he was given from the womb, would persist in the fiery trials God was putting him through. Christmas is the time when we all contemplate what joy is and what its source is. What it means to possess joy lasting joy it's the time of year when we reevaluate our priorities we inventory inventory our hearts and ask ourselves how or where we might be able to find true joy this coming year the christmas music, music playing everywhere feeds into this and it shapes our contemplations But the answers provided in the Christmas movies and the popular songs are usually more sentimental than biblical. You're not going to find the joy that baby John had by looking to religious feelings or even family traditions. Good Good though those things can be. You can't create the right atmosphere or ideal circumstances for true joy the joy that jesus gives the joy that comes with being in his presence is a sturdy joy a sturdy joy that doesn't depend on what's happening around you actually it depends on one circumstance and that's being with jesus The joy that Jesus gave to John in the womb was the joy of simply being with Jesus in his presence, in the presence of God. And John had access to this joy all of his life. He had access to it while his head was being removed from his body about 30 years later. It's the same joy you have access to all the time. When, when the milk gets spilled, when the pipes freeze up, when the plans fail, when the relationships end, when the money runs out, when people exclude you, and when the story God is writing for you doesn't make sense to you. We can imagine that Elizabeth and Mary, we, we can imagine what they might have talked about during these three months of Mary's stay. Perhaps they, they dreamed together of the day when Jesus would be sitting on the throne of David, ruling not only Israel, but the entire world. And John the Baptist, right by on his, on his right hand, By his side. They recalled together surely the scriptures that spoke of the peace, prosperity, and righteousness that the Messiah would usher in. Worldwide peace, piety, and prosperity. This Messiah, that Messiah, the one that they had been reading about their whole lives, hearing about, in the synagogue this messiah was in mary's womb and his forerunner his right-hand man was in elizabeth's you can imagine what they were thinking how this was going to play out yet if you go yet if you go forward just two chapters in luke's gospel where is john the baptist he's in prison Ultimately, he gets beheaded by Herod. At one point, while John was in prison, he was so confused that he sent some of his followers to ask Jesus if he really was the Messiah. Are you the one to come, or should we expect someone else? Of course, Jesus is the one to come. John had known this since he was a fetus. He grew up knowing this. He grew up being told this but his, his upside-down circumstances caused him to question what he knew was true. Are you ever tempted to question what you know is true? John was tempted to lose the joy that Jesus had given him in the womb three decades earlier. What was Jesus up to? What's going on here? Why would John be imprisoned And then beheaded. Well, Jesus was calling his cousin, John, to a higher joy. And a deeper joy. A joy that transcends earthly circumstances and depends only on one circumstance. Being with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I want your joy to go so far down so far below the surface that an earthquake can't shake it. I want it to go so high that nothing on earth can drag it down. That's the kind of joy that Jesus gave to John before either of them was born. It's the joy that John had to fight for when his life and his ministry didn't even come close To going the way he expected it. He had to fight for it. You often have to fight for the joy that is yours. It's the joy that you must hold on to tenaciously when God takes your life in the opposite direction that you were headed. The the joy in view here is not of this world. This is not a joy that comes from this world. It actually belongs to the future. It belongs to the world to come. But it's gone back in time. It's it's come from the future into the present. It's available in this world, and it belongs to everyone who is willing to be fully satisfied with Jesus plus nothing. Nothing. Are you willing to be content with Jesus plus nothing? Knowing that everything else that you need will be given to you as you seek first Jesus and his kingdom and its righteousness. As John vaulted in the womb, his mother Elizabeth's soul elevated, her spirit expanded. And the Spirit of God descended upon her, that the Spirit of prophecy seized her. Verse 42 says, Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, Elizabeth expresses her knowledge of Mary's secret. Mary didn't have to tell her. The first thing out of her mouth is a double blessing. She blesses Mary first, and then the fruit of her womb, the child inside of her. We we can imagine Mary's relief and joy, even even if no one else understood, if she didn't have anybody else to talk to, at least Elizabeth did. She understood. She believed. The virgin's heart surely soared when her relative, her believing relative, met her secret with this double blessing. And then Mary's heart soared to newer heights still when Elizabeth spoke the next prophetic line in verse 43. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The mother of my Lord. Elizabeth recognizes that Mary's baby is her Lord, the Messiah. And keep in mind that Mary was only a few days pregnant, right? She she hadn't got her first ultrasound yet. It it appears from the timeline that less than a week had gone by. Because it says she was there, uh, that Elizabeth was six months along. And that's about the time she gets there too. So not many days had gone by. So she was newly pregnant, which means that less than a week earlier, 23 of Mary's chromosomes were united somehow with 23 other human chromosomes supplied by the Holy Spirit to create a human zygote. I don't know how that worked, but it did. It's about all I've got to say a human child. And somehow Elizabeth knows that this little zygote or blastocyst, this newly and divinely fertilized egg in Mary's body, this fully human, divinely fertilized egg in Mary's body, somehow Elizabeth knows that it's the Lord. She calls him, my Lord, which harkens back to Psalm 110, where David begins the psalm by saying, the Lord said to my Lord, or more literally, Yahweh said to my Lord. In that psalm, David recognizes that the future Messiah will not just be a descendant of David, The future Davidic king will also be David's lord. So his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandkid, grandson, will be somehow his lord. Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament because it points to both the humanity and the divinity of Christ. Jesus was not just born of Mary... He also predates David. In John's gospel, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, which means also before David was, I am. In reality, before Adam was, I am. He existed, he has existed eternally. Here in verse 43, Elizabeth is confessing that the microscopic cluster of humanity inside Mary's womb is her Lord, the Lord of glory, the King of heaven and earth, the God man. God revealed this to Elizabeth, but He's revealed even more. To us, to those of us who have the whole counsel of God who can hold all of the scriptures in our hand. And humble Elizabeth wants to know why she is so favored that the mother of her Lord, the mother of the long-awaited Messiah should come to visit her. Why me? Now let's not rush past Elizabeth's lowly response here do you ever ask the question why me you should this question is central to a healthy spirituality why me lord why have you blessed me so abundantly god why did you choose to save me why did you open my eyes and unstop my ears Lord Jesus, why did you die on the cross for me? Why did you go to prepare a place for me? You didn't do it for everyone. Why me? Why did you give me faith? Why did you put your name on me? Why did you make a place for me at your table? Why did you sweep me up? into your kingdom and into your eternal family. Isaac Watts expressed this poetically in his hymn from 1707. How sweet and awful is the place. I'm going to read the first five verses of the original hymn. And the first two verses build up to it. And then in verses 3, 4, and 5, we see the, the why me question. In various ways. Verse one, how sweet and awful is the place with Christ within the doors. While everlasting love displays the choicest of her stores. Here every kindness of our God with soft compassion rolls. Here peace and pardon bought with blood is food for dying souls. Verse three. Listen to verses three, four, and five. While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cry with thankful tongues, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? Twas the same love that spread the feast, that sweetly drew us in; else we had still refused to taste, and perished in our sin. Incidentally, this is another reminder that the hymnal is useful—a useful guide to prayer. You can do a lot worse than praying through the hymnal regularly. How often do you ask the kind of question? Questions that Isaac Watts and Elizabeth asked. How awed are you by the grace of God in your life, the mercy that God has shown you? In, in your prayers this week, acknowledge the wonder of, of God's mercy, undeserved mercy in your life. Ask God, why did you come to me? Why did you draw me? To you, Why did you make me into a sheep who can hear the shepherd's voice? When so many others would rather die in their unrepentant sins, continue in their unrepentant sins, why did you draw me away from sin to you? Now, God won't tell you why. It's for, it's for him alone to know but it's for you to ask. Whenever you express the why me question, God will bless your humble praise of his inexplicable grace. He will reward your humble acknowledgement of your own unworthiness, your innate unworthiness. Specifically, he'll bless you with a deeper appreciation for his love for you in Christ. If you want sweeter communion with God, then regularly express to him your grateful bewilderment, your glad bemusement, your happy befuddlement, that you're a recipient of his favor rather than his wrath. Elizabeth concluded her prophetic blessing with a a formal beatitude at the end in verse 45. She blesses Mary for her faith, for believing. Blessed is she who believed. That's Mary. She believed what God told her through the angel. Blessed is she who believed. For there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. From the Lord through Gabriel, right? Why is Mary considered blessed in verse 45? Did you see that or hear it? It's not because she's unstained by sin. She wasn't. It's not because she's pregnant with the God-man, even though she was. It's because she has and exercises faith. She believes. She believes the promises she believes what god says and her faith is not it, it's more than intellectual assent it's more than belief in a certain set of facts and realities and propositions that are true it's that plus it's it's her faith real faith is belief assent plus trust. Plus trust. That's really what faith is. It's trust. It's believing trust. It's faith plus trust manifested in both passivity and activity. So let me say that again. Faith is belief plus trust manifested in both passivity and activity. It's passive and active, in other words. Let's track this in Mary's life in, in this story when Gabriel told Mary that she would bear God's son while still a virgin and impossible a, a biological impossibility right what was her response she believed it was true you know we, we saw last week she had a question a how question but it wasn't a are you a really able question it was just a how question unlike Zacharias's how is this possible question She believed it was true. She didn't doubt. She accepted it as a fact. Her faith was profound, but it was also marked by sublime simplicity. Sublime simplicity. If God said it, she believed it, and that settled it. But her belief wasn't merely intellectual. She also entrusted herself to God. That's what it means to trust God, by the way. It means to entrust yourself completely to Him. So to her belief, she added trust. And that those together make faith, biblical faith. And bound up with her trust, was her passive submission to God in verse 38, where she said, we saw this last week, I'm the Lord's servant, maid servant. Let it be to me according to your word. This is the the passive submission that flows out of faith. Dependence. Resignation that flows out of faith. We could see it as an active thing, but for our purpose to purposes today, we can see it as the passive side of faith, the receiving and resting side of faith, as the Westminster Confession puts it. But her faith, her belief plus trust, her faith also produced activity. It produced activity. Now, this activity is not faith. It flows from faith she immediately responded to the angel's message by arising and going with haste to Elizabeth's house. And what we see in Mary's actions is that faith shows itself in certain kinds of passivity and in certain kinds of activity. Saving faith is total dependence on Christ, which is, we could see it as a, a passive thing, depending on On Christ, relying on Christ. It's total dependence on Christ that springs into action and service. Faith is leaning back into the arms of Christ so that He can propel you forward rather than trying to propel yourself forward you're not leaning back on Christ, then your activity will be generated by your own strength and your own wisdom, whatever resources you have, which isn't much. Trusting Christ is like playing the fall game. I don't don't know what it's called exactly, but where you blindly fall back into someone's arms, believing they'll catch you before you hit the floor. It's a great illustration of that faith, of that passive faith. It's hard to fall back into the everlasting arms of Jesus. But when you do, this, this kind of passivity will produce activity that has the power of God behind it. Because you're plugged into the power of God, you've leaned back into the outlet, the power source. Instead of chasing the wind, spinning your wheels your service to Christ and his kingdom will be directed, sanctioned and powered by the strong arms of your Lord when you are leaning back into his arms, into his bosom as John did the the passivity I'm talking about is a calm reliance that has stopped seeking God's approval That's not what it's about. The the activity I'm talking about is the faithfulness and fruitfulness of service and discipleship that springs from this kind of faith. The worry and stress and insecurity and frustration you experience are the results of going ahead of Christ. He promises that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But to experience the rest for your soul that Jesus offers there, you've got to stay in the yoke with him. You know what a yoke is, right? It's, it's, it's a, a cross piece that goes on an animal so that you can direct it. And sometimes the, you can have two animals in a yoke together. When you go out on your own, you have to bear the burden yourself. You've got the yoke all by yourself, and your burden is not easy. Your burden is not light. No one's is. No one's is. The burden is only easy and light when Jesus is right next to you in the same yoke, fastened to the same cross piece as you are carrying the burden for you. So if you want to be a joyful instrument of fruitful activity for Christ, the way John was, the way Mary was, if you want to be a a joyful instrument of fruitful activity for Christ, the first thing you need to do is learn how to lean back into his chest the way John did during the Last Supper. Learn how to stay yoked up with Jesus So if you want to stop chasing your tail, if you want to stop the same patterns of frustration, stop moving forward. Lean back until you land in the arms of Christ and let him push you forward into meaningful activity, activity that brings peace rather than anxiety. Stop rushing ahead, back into the yoke with Christ. And he will carry you forward into joyful activity. Mary's three month visit with Elizabeth is a history, uh, a short history of God's care and provision for his people. Consider how God provided for the Virgin Mother, He directed Mary to a community small community, but a community in the humble home of Zacharias and Elizabeth. For about 90 days, she experienced fellowship with people who had a common faith, a common hope, and even common experiences related to God's dramatic entrance into his creation, into history to save his people. God confirmed Mary's trust her faith through other flesh and blood believers. But Mary wasn't the only one God was taking care of. He was also confirming the faith of Zacharias and Elizabeth and the embryo John. The visitation instructs us in the necessity of the church, the community of faith, the people of God the local body of Christ. If we are to see Christ expanded in our hearts, we must fly to the people of God. We must commune with the people of God, people with whom we share common faith, common hope, and common experiences of God's grace and provision, his entrance into our lives. Mary's faith was great, but it might have faltered had it not been for Elizabeth's encouragement and edification. Your faith, no less than Mary's, needs constant fellowship if it's going to survive. It's one of the means by which God brings you to the end, preserves you to the end through the people of God. Your joy, no less than John's, needs constant encouragement if it's going to withstand the pain of living in this groaning creation. You need God. And he says you need his people. The joy John had in the womb would later come under attack by the troubles of this world. His his joy, as we considered, was even challenged by the otherworldly logic of Christ's kingdom, which didn't map well with John's kingdom logic, did it? After John was born, he had to learn, just like the rest of us, just like all of us sinful humans, who are prone to wander, he had to learn, like the rest of us, to entrust himself to Jesus constantly, daily, and to be satisfied with Jesus plus nothing. Both saving faith and lasting joy boil down to entrusting yourself to Jesus and looking to nothing else for salvation and satisfaction. Salvation or satisfaction. Saving faith and lasting joy boil down to entrusting yourself to Jesus and looking to nothing else for salvation or for satisfaction. Saving faith and lasting joy both boil down to leaning on the everlasting arms of God not on your own understanding, not on your own wisdom, not on your own strength, not on your own experience in life, not on anything or anyone in this world, but falling back into the bosom of Christ and leaning on His everlasting arms, moment by moment. The 19th century hymn, Leaning on the everlasting arms is based on Deuteronomy 33:27, which says the eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemies before you saying, destroy them. I close with the words of that famous hymn. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how sweet to walk in his pilgrim way, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day, leaning on the everlasting arms. What have I to dread? What have I to fear, leaning on the everlasting arms? I have blessed peace with my Lord so near Leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Let's pray. Oh God, we cast ourselves into your everlasting arms. We fall back into your strong arms that are mighty to save Mighty to satisfy. And mighty to propel us into action, into activity, into the works that you prepared before us, before the foundation of the world. And so we pray that this week, your spirit would teach us to walk in the faith of our forefathers, the faith and the joy of John, And Mary, the faith in the cross of Jesus Christ that saves us, we pray that you would preserve us this week in this faith and that you would build us up in this faith. We pray it in the name of Jesus for the sake of his kingdom. Amen.